The following episode of Council of the First Ones was recorded on March 15, 2015. Hello, welcome to Council of the First Ones. I'm Kelly, admit for the Great Rebellion. Joining me today is my fellow admin, Yoni. Are you awake? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. I hope you read all, everything that came because this is going to be a spoiler council. Yeah. One. Yeah, I've been reading. And of course, joining us is my fellow nerd on a couch, Renee. Hello, everybody. And of course... It wouldn't be a council without someone coming from Despondos. And boy, will he be ranting today. Chris! Well, it's not my fault. Let's just say that this is the following rants that come from me today. Most of them are Scott's fault. That's all I'm going to say for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, th I'm throwing Nightlick under the bus right out of the bat. Under the bus? I thought it was under the... Uh, Raider. No, I, no, I think. Or the attack no, track. A steamroller would be, would be too, too harsh, but. Yeah, this is all your fault, Scott, and let's just get this on the road so well, I can vent, rant, and then go and take an, a nice warm bath, a relaxing tea, and forget this ever happened. Topic of today's episode is the March deliveries for those who subscribe to Club Eternia. If you didn't subscribe, please turn off the podcast now. If well, you, no, 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 Kelly. They can, if you they don't can want hear the spoilers. spoilers, they can hear all that, and they need to be reminded that King Chubla, it's not blah, it's King Chublossom, because holy crap, that reveal was amazing. Well, we should do the 2000X sub because we did get two more figures shown to us since our last podcast. Right after we recorded our last podcast, Queen Grayskull was revealed. And boy, those four, four horsemen knocked her out of the park. She is gorgeous. Well, I gotta agree with you, but I have some questions. Um, that shawl... Is it going to be plastic? We don't know. I'd say they were showing us the paint masters because I couldn't tell if there's any articulation on her wings. Yeah, because I'm concerned about the uh, overall. Yeah, yeah, that that Queen Grayskull figure looks awesome, and the detail is amazing. But uh, because I, I looked at the shawl and I was like, if that shawl is a hard piece of plastic that doesn't come off, she's not going to sit on Castle Grayskull's throne, and it's going to limit a lot of articulation. That's just a, a sample and that the actual plastic is going to be softer and maybe droop down a little bit because right now she's a staction. And I collect action figures, not stactions. But she looks awesome. Yeah, I mean, she is definitely the paint master that we saw. I actually hope that the shawl is removable if, since they're not going to give us it in fabric because that would have been perfect as a fabric piece. But we saw that they are not doing that. Because the fabric could have also been used on Spinnerella. I do hope 
that there is some articulation in the wings, so they can close up too, so you don't always have to have her displayed with the wings fully extended. But I wasn't sure, are those the MYP colors or the mini-comic colors? MYP colors all the way. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure, which I'm glad, because it actually makes her look more regal, because I saw her with the blues and all like that. I wasn't, I guess that was the mini-comic version. Yeah, in the mini-comics, she had the traditional sorceress colors, but the toy actually has the MYP color. Which I think is a good idea, since it was a small debate with colors, because in the classics mini-comic, and now we have to learn to diversify, because there's so much now. In the classics mini-comic, she had the filmation colors, and it, it didn't look bad on her, but people wanted the 2000X, because that's how we saw her. Yeah. And it makes her look more regal. You do see the hybrid of a sorceress and a queen, which she is actually both. Or I think it would be interesting if they had like a history of sorceresses that have been in that castle. And I think it would be really cool if each one had their own color, their own distinction, their own style. Uh, because this character, again, we, we hardly know anything about her. I mean, she was in that episode for five minutes. It was a cool five minutes, but still, you don't know anything. And we do know there were other sorceresses. Oh, Cruel, which was the sorceress before Tianad, which is who we know as the sorceress. And then we also had the sorceress that was dressed like the Egyptian. Again, that was supposed to be our traditional sorceress. But I actually see her as a separate character. And but that would that would have to be what the new Masters of the Universe team have to do to tell us an exciting story with these characters and try to sell us new ones as well as making us interested in old characters who aren't as popular as He-Man, Stratos, Man-at-Arms, Skeletor, Beast-Man, and... Uh... And Skeleton? <laughs> uh... I'm biting my tongue and trying not to curse. And believe me... <laughs> There's plenty of cost-worthy material that will make a sailor blush with the with this episode. And I think we're delaying the inevitable with these cool reveals we got from the 2000X mini. So. Yeah, because we also received a king who looks fairly good. And he's, and he's built out of mostly beastman parts. It's only new head, new armor, new forearms, and new feet. Everything else, it's from figures we already got. Namely, Beastman, Stratos, Mossman, the main three who used the original furry buck. Oh, good good job on that one. Yeah, there is some reused parts in it, but then y you look at him and it's like, wow, that's, he's completely beastly. And he doesn't look part of the, I mean, he's unique, very unique. I mean, at, first at first glance, you think he's like a 100% new buck, but when you look at him closely, it's like, Holy crap, this guy's using the old buck. And that's how awesome the horsemen are. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You have to give it to the four horsemen. They know how to take existing stock items and make them look brand new, unique to that one character. And you go, wow. And then it takes the experts say, yeah, this part came from this one. This one came from this one. And even then, some of the people say, nah, you're not. You're jo joking. You're pulling my leg. I mean, that's true 
talent. And also, we have to give it up for the Four Horsemen. They set a new record on Kickstarter with their Mythic Legends Kickstarter program as the highest of highest amount collected for any action figure Kickstarter program ever. Well, yeah, my wallet's crying over all that good stuff they kept posting up. Oh, trust me, I was like, damn, I want it all, but I can't get it. I'm just hoping that uh, hopefully they ordered a lot for the uh, store. Well, first, what you're guaranteed if you whatever you ordered through the Kickstarter and through the backer program, which we'll be getting shortly. And then from that, they add on to the store and the Kickstarter people get the first crack at it. That's how they did it with the Ravens. But I think they're going to le- need a lot more toys because I know some people who are, who are actually angry at their economic situation and that they were a bit short of cash during the time the Kickstarter campaign went and are hoping they can get a few of the characters like the dwarves, the skeleton warriors are my personal favorite, some of the knights. There's a lot of cool stuff coming from them. Oh, yes. And definitely they will blend into your Motu line extremely easily, especially those skeleton warriors and the knights. Skeletor can have his army now! <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the issue that that I had with these guys, is that there was a lot of awesome figures. There's a lot that, oh, I want, oh, and I can't get them all. I, I you know, as much as I would have liked it, I barely got two. And I'm barely like, oh, I want these other ones. But when the time comes, I'm not going to be able to buy all the sets and... In one, and I mean, in one order, I would have preferred it if they came out in different times and, or they'd be available a little more variety because I can't buy everything in one swoop. No, I know I bought quite a few of the Ravens. I'm, I think I have like a 25% of the Ravens they offered this time. I could only get one and I had a hard time even choosing which one I was going to get. I think I finally decided on uh, Sir Owen, since Owen never did make it into the classics line out of the Horseman Studio, and everyone else did. But I'm sure we will see more of the Mythic Legion coming out from our favorite sculptors. We can't praise them enough on that. Well, before we we leave uh, King Chubla really quick, I wanted to ask you guys a question. Let me just straight up ask you guys. Do you think this is a good character for the 2000X subscription? Okay, this is a this is a heavy question, but personally, I mean, the figure blew me away, and before I saw the figure, I was a bit disappointed that he was included in the lineup because there are far cooler characters that they could have done. I mean, they could have done King Miro and doubled up on the whole completing royal family thing and. Uniting all heirs together of the royal family from 2000X to Filmation. Um, they could have used thinking, okay, well, there weren't that many 2000X only single characters left. I mean, they could have done the Andrinid Queen, but Scott killed her from the classics continuity by making boss of the King Bee. And the reason why Chubla is there is because he would complete the core council from King Rander, which still be missing the Taurus guy, and I think there, 
the Polisian elder would be the the last two characters missing, and obviously the Andrinid queen. But I see I see Chubla there because he would complete the that core theme of the Council of Good, and because he, he's a freaking jet yeti, so you can't go wrong with a four horsemen sculpted freaking yeti. But before I saw the cool four horsemen yeti, I was like, really? This is the choice they went with. I mean. Even Sortek, who is super hated from the worst episode of the entire series, seemed at times more interesting than the freaking Yeti. But then again, the characters are chosen under a process to see who would sell better, and that's how we got those wonderful Plunder and Neptune. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I didn't know much about them. I did see the MYP series... And I've read most of the comics, but I guess it wasn't my generation of He-Man. I mean, I do respect the 2000X line, but I'm more the 80s filmation vintage girl. I'll be quite honest. So when they announced him, I was like, okay, let's see what it looks like. And yes, he is an awesome figure. We do need a Yeti. I mean, we have a Queen... Of the snow, we have Icer, Frosta. So why not have a Yeti? Some kind of mount beast of the frozen area. I mean, I don't know what what I'm going to how I'm going to work him into my mythos, but he does fit. It does show variety in our classics line. Not all of our heroes are humanoid. So yeah, I would have preferred like King Miro to complete the family. I mean, give them two different heads because you can then have the young Miro of MYP or the grandfather Miro of Filmation to complete that family. But I was trying to figure out what characters really stood out from MYP besides the council or a handful of the bad guys that would not be a variant we would get. So I'm actually happy with him. Well, I wanted to know. Yoni, are you okay with this one? <laughs> yeah. It, it's a nice figure to have, and it makes sense uh, for 2000X. See, I just wanted to gather opinions because I've been watching the, the forums and I've been floating through other uh, websites, and he is kind of polarizing because as an action figure, he's not really have the action. You know, there, there's no, he's kind of old. He is an old, in the cartoon, you know, he's like the leader, but yeah, he's a beast and all that, but he's kind of like the elder tribal leader. Not really much movement coming out of him. And now that this NYP, uh, that the, uh, the NYP sub has shown, I keep thinking, you know, I would have liked an Eternian guard, one of those old fashioned ones. I would have liked Hawk. The 2000X one. You know, and that's where other people are saying, too, is that he's all right, and some people are just crazy about him. But then other t- other figures that just could have been, and they bring it up, and I'm like, yeah, those would have been a great one. I would have liked another fe- female. Hawk would have been perfect for this. Her design was pretty cool in that one. And um, they cited other uh, monsters they could have done. They could have done Skeletor's uh, bone monster, but... This is what we got, and I'm okay with it, but I still kind of wish, like, oh, 
it could have been a little more action figure in it. I mean, I would have loved to seen another female, but going back to the old school of thought, even though there times are changing in Mattel, when the, this lineup was set, the mindset was female action figures don't sell, which is a bunch of BS. We all know that, but well, I think this line pretty much um, divert. I mean, that that's not the plan. Especially, uh, I I think because uh, I was discussing that with somebody, and I think Motu is probably now the classics, and I'm talking about the classics is actually uh, pretty equal. Yeah, Club Etheria made sure of that because that brought it up. Because for a while there, we only had six or seven figures, and we were lucky if we got one female a year. And the last two years, they've been rocking out those females, and they've been selling like crazy. And not just on Maddie Collector, even on the secondary market, they are going high price. And people are actually begging on the Maddie forms to bring back some of the earlier female figures so they don't have to pay the triple-digit figures that are being asked, especially for, like, Tila and the Sorceress. Don't mention Shadow Weaver. <laughs> oh, no. Even Lucy's triple. Yeah. So I think, Again, I think as this, females go, I think this is the... Uh, I think Classics is pretty much up there. I think the only thing that rivals them would probably be Star Wars at this point with female ratios. But um, I got to say, I... I I, I like the, I'm torn too. I mean, I, I'm torn. I like the figure, but I keep thinking I kind of would have liked something else. But at the moment, that's what we got. That's what we have to deal with. And hopefully 2016 brand new line that is not classics, but is very likely to be compatible with classics will bring us some of those characters we want to fill in gaps and transition to the new line. Okay, have we delayed March Madness long enough, guys? Yeah, let's start with the Huntara bio. Renee, you do Huntara, I do Ular. Huntara, courageous Silaxian warrior. Real name, Tara. Hailing from Silax, a planet in the Spondos known for its accomplished hunters and trackers, Huntara quickly rose in the ranks at, as top of her class. Hearing of her great accomplishments, Hordak summoned the muscular, deep-voiced bounty hunter to assist him in tracking down and trapping She-Ra. Knowing the Salaxians pride themselves on their pure sense of good and evil, Hordak tricked Huntara into believing that She-Ra burned down an entire village in the name of the Rebellion. Willing to take on almost any job, Huntara offers her trapping and fighting skills to anyone willing to pay her high prices. Isn't that a contradiction? Basically, they went word for word from the filmation episode. Yeah, but it says she has a sense of good and evil, but yet she'll do any job for the right price. Yep. She's the bounty hunter of our of the pop world. Uh, basically, she hunts down evil. That's where Scott, or whoever wrote the bio, <coughs> Nightlick, made their mistake. She even stated in the episode she only hunts evil. And it took quite a lot on Hordak's part to convince Huntera that Shira was evil. And in fact, 
by the end, she had proven, no, she's not evil, that the Horde likes to manipulate, and asked Hunter to join forces with the Rebellion, but that's when we saw that money is an issue with Huntera, and Price wasn't right, and Huntera left. Yeah, you know, um, I know this is not going to be a popular statement, but I got to say it. I got to be straight up with everybody. I didn't like that episode, and I don't like this character, and I'm not that crazy about the figure. It screams 80s female domination, uh, like Bridget it Nielsen. It screams purple Grace Jones. Oh, yeah, you say Grace Jones, I was going to go with Bridget Nielsen. <laughs> no, no, but, but seriously, if you look at the Filmation episode, she's basically purple Grace Jones. And my thoughts on the bio. This bio reads like Scott Knightley added just a few lines to a synopsis of the episode Huntara. And, e and even then he kind of messed up because it doesn't make sense. She has a strong sense of good and evil, but she does anything for the right price. Uh, it kind of needed, like, she do she would do anything for the high price, but she won't do that. Or that. Or that. Or that. Okay, aside from the lame, I'd do anything for love reference. The only real nitpick I have is, like, why did the bio have to add that she's muscular and deep voice? The toy doesn't even talk. If I want to have a Huntara with a squeaky voice, now I can't because the cannon is going to grab it. It's going to force me to gravitate to deep voice, just like in the episode, but the point still stands. It's kind of like a, this little pop hate, like, there's always something that the bio writer has to shove in, like, to make the pop characters, like, less important, like, focusing on stupid things, like, oh, she likes pretty dresses, she likes exotic dances, she likes to strut <laughs> She likes to strut around so everyone says she's pretty. Oh, she's got a deep voice. He's totally not gay. I mean, if you check out most of the pop bios, there's some, there's always some stupid little tidbit to knock them down a peg or two. Yeah, they, but see, we know who wrote, wrote it or influenced the writer of the bio. And I agree, they always try and knock down the pop figures. They could have really, had a chance to make her bio stand out, make drive out that she is a bounty hunter. She goes from planet to planet for hire to look for the evil. Yes, she was tricked, but realized that she was. I mean, they had a lot of things they could have worked with. They did not have to stay true to the filmation bio. This was a fan choice figure by a landslide. And I felt this bio did not deliver on it. I mean, the sculpt is good. I mean, it's true to what we see on the show. They could have done a little bit more. We did not need to know that she's muscle-bound with a deep voice. When they, when I saw that in the bio, I thought of a dominatrix. <laughs> I thought they got that from the uh, script. You know, because that line reads like a script line. When you're introducing a character saying, yeah, she's muscled and deep voiced because that's the design and the character Those voice. Those are the notes that they would have used for the artist so they would know how to draw her and the voice actress to portray her. But that did not need to be included. Those are background notes. Well, here's my English um, literature stance is that I do believe that 
characters need to be in a certain category, especially these type of characters. And to me, it bothers me because it's a contradiction. Okay, she's she's money hungry. She's a bounty hunter. Which, when you think about that, it strikes elements of like Boba Fett and um, other characters, like with that kind of attitude, which would be either a lawful neutral or a true neutral. But yet, it says that she has a sense of right or uh, of evil. Well, you know, you really can't be hunting evil if like you have a price it's 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 contradictory and i keep trying to think where does this character fit she doesn't fit in any category of good and evil because she hunts evil but she does it for a price i'm like okay i'm going to help the homeless but i'll do it if they pay me tons of money you know it bothers me it, it really whoever did this just uh, I know she wasn't in the plan. They they added her in the plan because of the fan votes and all that, but they could have done a little better. And yeah, I blame the Filmation cartoon, too. They, they, they didn't do a good job with this cartoon. I didn't like the episode. I didn't like the character. Um, I just say it's, it's 80s generic female domination thing. Yeah, Grace Jones, uh, I stuck with Bridget Nielsen. <laughs> It's nuts. I, I just, I don't like this character. And I think that's why I don't like the figure. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It wasn't one of my favorite episodes either. And they could have taken this as a blank slate to really give, an, give her a better bio. I mean, she does, she comes with, I guess we should say three accessories, even though two are identical. And one goes with Ular. But I would have preferred her with her second head. Because then I could say, yeah, well, it's more like Boba Fett. She's hiding her identity. Because the sec- when she went out to fight, she didn't always have her regular face. She had it covered with a mask. And I think I would have preferred it with the mask, too. And here's the thing. It kind of bugs me. Like, they went straight filmation here with her. And it was like a, a really bad synopsis. And even with the bad stuff, the cheesy stuff from filmation left in. But with Neptu, it was like, oh, yeah, he got the power. They, they brushed that up quickly. And then... They went like, oh, he went with the Snake Man, he was with Gunmarso, he did this, he did that. But here it's like, ah, crap, Huntara one. Let's just let's just copy down the episode review summary. Boom, there we go. And seriously, they could have gone with the instead of Bounty Hunter, cause yeah, you can say assassin in a kid's cartoon. You, cause Huntara is like a, an assassin, like who suddenly has a change of heart. I would have gone with that, like, oh, she's an assassin. She's sent to kill Shira, and then she discovers that. Her contract was made by someone far more evil and had a change of heart, and now she wants to kill Hordak. There we go. New ch- new story for Huntara. That's the one I'm going with. Yeah, I mean, nothing said they had to stick with the 80s filmation. That's why I said this was a character they could have really gone off on and given a completely new storyline, incorporating things from filmation, like she was a bounty hunter, or I do like the assassin idea. Because she was really more of an assassin. And given us more information, because it does expand the universe. We have a new world that was mentioned. And there's the whole thing, like, we've got the her planet, Silax. There was, like, some notes from the episode that never made it, the Silaxian Wars, that, that spoke about her world being corrupted by the Horde, politically, politically corrupted by the Horde, and... How Shira had to go and help Huntara save her world. You know, they could have expanded with that, but nope. It's like, 
Summary of the episode, she's got a deep voice. Bye-bye. I'm angry, mask lost, that kind of thing. But Yeah, this is a bio that Mattel dropped the ball on. And the bio would have sold it to those who were not pop fans. Because I know there were still people very upset that Lord Mask lost to Huntera. Because it was a filmation fan choice that year. I'm still surprised that Huntera won, but that's uh, another rant for another day. Yep. <laughs> well, to be truthful... I mean, I didn't like any of those choices. Well, I I see why they chose Mask, because they had Shokori, and they couldn't have, like, bumped off Neptune and popped in Lord Mask there. Nobody yeah. thought of that. Like, that's like having Robin without Batman. But, that's or Bad Girl okay. without Batman. Yeah, Bad Girl without Batman. Let's go with that better. Okay, so, but, Hunter yeah. won, Mara won. <laughs> Well, why don't we head to the jungle? Welcome to the jungle! <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> why, it's so appropriate! Here we go with the jungle he-man, Ular, who totally was not a typo of Molar. Real name, Ular, Lord of the Jungle Tribe. The last person to be known as the he-man before Prince Adam was born was Ular of the Jungle Tribe. He left his kinsmen... Seeking adventures and excitement outside of the Vine Jungle, coming across the goddess, he rescued her and was recruited to help protect the two halves of the Power Sword of He. The Corridite Power Vest, which the goddess gave to Ular, was so well engineered that it was also eventually passed down to Prince Adam too. Ular's final quest was to unite both halves of the sword so that the sorceress could clone it for the second Twin of Destiny. Ular then separated the original sword again, hiding both halves on opposite sides of the planet, while the sorceress and Light Hope watch over the clone sword in Grayskull. Ular bravely fights to protect the secret of the Sword of He. And by the way, remember that He is trolling for power, so he was protecting the two halves of the Power Sword of Power. So powerful, it needed to have power twice. Let me just say, the figure is awesome. I love this figure. Uh, yeah, the figure is looks good. The bio... Can we have bad sound effects? Do you want to say, like, you found a better bio written inside a toilet bowl at Taco Bell on at 3 o'clock in the morning? Okay. Okay, it's not that it's a horrible bio. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible, bad awful, nasty bio that even Poop would be ashamed of being associated with it. Okay, the, the 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 good parts. Okay, so he left the jungle, he was recruited by the goddess. Okay, that's good. The goddess gave him the armor. That's good. The armor was so well engineered that then it was handed down to Adam. Really? That's what you're going with by a writer? I mean, why? Why is that there? It's like, it's just like Trying to explain why Adam has the same best, uh, yeah, the idea that Adam is pretending to be him, that would explain why he has the best. Doesn't need to have explanation. The best was so well engineered, blah, blah, blah. And again, the swords were split. He rejoined them. Then he split them apart again. And is he alive? Is he dead? I know he said, it said his final quest was to join them, separate them. And here's the thing. Okay. 
with the timing, it doesn't add up. Okay, yeah, he got the two halves. He was to protect both halves that were separated. So we have to under we have to believe that he already had both halves, but they were separated. Okay, uh, here's a confusion. Let me let me let me ask you this: Was he the one that that fought Geiger? Yes. Okay. He fought Geiger with the goddess. He fought Skeletor when the kidnapping of Adora. So he was still alive when Adam and Adora was born, and he broke the battle armor. And none of that got mentioned. None of that got mentioned here, which I thought was way better storyline for this guy. Okay, so he had both halves. Then he hid two halves on opposite ends of the planet. One is on Castle Grayskull, so the opposite end of the planet. We should guess that it's Snake Mountain, but Adam was supposed to get a half of the power sword and use the Techno Sword to access the power, and he had to locate the other half. Uh, okay, if the if the half of the power sword, I'm I'm lost. We got the we got the clone. No, sorry, we got the clone sword, which is the sword of protection inside Castle Grayskull. We got the two other halves split. Okay, okay, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Okay, the sword of protection was in Castle Grayskull. This the third sword. Adam got one half of the sword, which was no clue where it was, and then the other half was probably at Snake Mountain or something. Uh. Wouldn't it have been easier to keep this, both sword halves inside the castle since no one can enter the castle if if it do, if that person doesn't have the authorization by the power sword or the sorceress? Confusing storyline is more is more confusing. Well, they're trying to, and the whole thing they've been doing is trying to combine everything together. Trying to combine 2000X, trying to combine Filmation, trying to combine the mini-comics, and now trying to combine some of the UK stuff, some of the uh, US magazine stuff, trying to combine everything. And that was their mistake. It just it just doesn't mesh well. They could have streamlined some of this, but, but now he had them split. What I see them trying to do, and again, he didn't do a good job, was that he wanted to explain a couple of things. He wanted to explain where the techno vest comes from. That the green goddess is here. Which again, I've always wanted to ask, does the green goddess, does He-Man, does Prince Adam He-Man ever meets the green goddess? I never got an answer to that one. I would have given this guy a little bit more because yeah, he, I would have said his last quest, but so far that we know, he fought Gygor to protect uh, Castle Grayskull. He fought the uh, possessed Skeletor. And he may even have fought Keldor. Yeah, he may have even fought. But again, I would have had it, you know, again, that's worthy accomplishments that I would have put somewhere that he did it in secret or he did it to prepare for He-Man, the, the true He-Man. And he was just the legend to help build up the legend. Or something like that, because and I would have made him out to be the greatest, um, the He-Man, to come out. The, the, he accomplished all these great deeds and all that, that he revitalized the legend of He-Man to prepare for the real one. Or something like that, because he's worthy of it. But And then I would have had it that when it was said and done, he returned. Or again, we don't know if he's alive or not. Heck, I would have, I would have made him the mysterious father that Tila has that nobody knows who it was and would have ditched away the whole clone thing for Tila. And yeah, that would have made more sense. He's Tila's father and he died. Yeah. And and then you have the daughter of Ahiman 
to become the wife of the He-Man. Boom. Yeah, but instead they went with the clone. And then they well, went with the... Well, that was the 80s thing. Everything was clone, clone, clone. Because that was during the time of Dolly the Sheep. No, that would be the 90s. The 90s was yeah. was the clone fever, and let's just back away from clones, otherwise I'm going to be starting shooting webs in wrong directions. So. But it's not that it... Okay, in the most politically correct term, I could say the bio writer chose poorly. But I'm just going to say the lesser of two evils, Huntara's bio. This one, it's not the worst I've seen, but it's down there with the worst of the worst. Yeah, it's down there. It just leaves a lot of... Well, again, in its essence, uh, people tend to forget, you know, all the other things they've mentioned him in. And I find it sad that here, now he's here, we have his bio, and I just don't think they gave him enough credit that he deserved. I think they should have bolstered him up a little bit more. The only thing this says is, by the way, he got the Cordite vest uh, that he passed on to Adam, and he united the swords... And then he broke him up and hit him. And that's it. Well, oh, holy crap. Wait, wait, wait. Didn't the King Grayskull bio say something about someone of his bloodline would be able to reunite the swords? I don't know if this was a, mistake, a horrible mistake by the bio writer or if, if he said oh, something far more awesome. And I'm inclining towards weird mistake than intentionally planned. Hmm, now you found a loophole. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, did he or did the sorceress did it? Or even then, did he actually physically combine them? Did they just get the two and... Because there, it's energy, so... And... Um, I have a headache now. <laughs> Whenever we look at these bios and try and figure out the rhyme and reason, we need someone to sit down with all the bios from all seven years and create some kind of flow chart saying, okay, this bio relates to this, this one goes to this, this one goes to this, this one, well, they didn't care about the character, that's why it's vanilla. No, no, no. Here's what needs to really happen. We need to force Nightlake to, exp to give us the name of the bio team and force the bio team to explain themselves. Well, I thought he was the bio team. <laughs> I'm, ju I'm just being generous with the guy and saying that there is a theme so he can... Throw all those other people under the bus so he doesn't take all the blame. No, no. Here's what needs to happen. Um, there needs to be a brand new, completely from start continuity going their own way. I, I granted, people want to bring up DC Comics. Yes, yes, they are. Uh, but I'm talking about an animated series putting all these characters together. There needs to be a fresh start somewhere. And some of these have to go. I mean, I'm sorry. They're going to do a cartoon series and all that. They have to go. But at least we have something solid and a continuity. Hi, everybody. Renee here. I want to let you all know this is the end of part one of our podcast. Please join us for part two as we discuss the uh, upcoming uh, mini-comic that came with Ular and uh, hear stuff we had to say. Join us next time.